If you have a Bible in front of you, I want to invite you to open up to page 263. You can use an app on your phone if you brought your own personal Bible. We're going to be looking more in depth, 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to look at Psalm 51. For those of you who like to plan ahead, as we think about this theme of repentance, and I'm particularly going to focus in on one verse, the last verse that Pastor Nate just read in 2 Samuel. When David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, if you've been following along in this sermon series, or even if you're new here today watching from home, but you know and understand a little bit about the life of David, what we see here in 2 Samuel is very uncharacteristic. After all, this is the same David who had such courageous faith. He trusted so much in God that he went to face this giant Goliath in battle. This is the same David who had such self-restraint and humility and wisdom that when he had a chance himself to take the life of King Saul, a man who had been trying to kill David over and over again, David trusted God. He said, no, this is not my job to do this. The Lord will do this. I cannot. And he practiced great restraint. He didn't do that. That's the same David who We see in Scripture, has such joy of spirit. He's dancing before the Lord, worshiping. I mean, could you imagine if one of your pastors was so filled with the Holy Spirit that they were dancing on the altar? Some of you would leave, I believe. This is the same David who had such a heart for the Lord. He wanted to build a grand temple so that people could worship and experience the Lord in a powerful way. That David, that David somehow fell away from the Lord. He had a character flaw. He lusted after another man's wife. He took her for himself. He then had the idea, the audacity to try to cover up one sin with another by then killing this man, Uriah the Hittite. And he thinks that he's got away with it. But in chapter 11, verse 27... We see, and we know this in our own lives, that nothing can escape the eyes of the Lord. The Lord, it says, had seen the thing that David had done, and it had displeased him. And so he sends Nathan, the prophet, to confront David in his sin. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And really, there's three things that I see in this text that we can really learn for ourselves as we study the life of David. The first thing is the necessity of repentance. You know, we live in a culture where people are actually think that repentance is rather repressive. You know, you guys and you Christians, you're always talking about sin. Why are you so obsessed with sin? We're going to deal with that today, the necessity of repentance. Then two, we'll look at how we sometimes get repentance wrong. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to think about repentance. We'll look at that. And finally, as we conclude, there's real transformational power that God wants to bless us with and grant us through repentance. We'll look at how our hearts today, we can walk out of this place transformed by the incredible grace of God that we see in this text. But first, let's talk about the necessity of repentance. Why is it so important? How did David fall into this mess in the first place? And look with me, chapter 12. Nathan confronts David in a very interesting way. It doesn't tell us why he does it this way, if the Lord said to do this, or if this was something that was in Nathan's own uh, toolbox as a prophet. But he approaches David, and David believes that this is a true story, that this is really happening within, within his kingdom, a rich man who has everything. 
who instead of taking from his own wealth, finds a poor man in his neighborhood and takes the poor man's only lamb for himself, kills it, eats it, and if you look at verse 5, it says that David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He is furious, which tells us a little something about David. He was religiously hypocritical. He could see the sin in another person's life, but he was refusing to acknowledge the sin in his own heart. He was blind to it. And this happens over time by what we call a lack of repentance. Maybe it started when he first lusted after Bathsheba. Maybe it started before that. But whatever's going on in David's heart, he had grown further and further away from the Lord to the point where his heart is so calloused. What does Nathan say? He asks him this question in verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? That, that word means hate. Why do you hate the word of the Lord, the Lord who you love and follow and cherish? Why do you now hate his word? This is the spiritual state in which David finds himself. He is blind to his own sin, and he is growing further and further away from the Lord, and danger is following him. It's a spiritual danger to be callous towards the Lord's word. And I'm thinking in my own life, is there anything that I've done where I look at God's law and I make excuses for my own behavior? Maybe there's something in your life where you say, well, I think this is a sin in the Bible. I think this is a sin in the Bible. But this one over here, that's a little bit old-fashioned. I'm just going to ignore that one for the time being. This happens in our own heart. We see it happening in David's heart. And here's why repentance is necessary, because repentance actually frees us to be more like the person that God has designed us to be. Repentance frees, repentance frees us from that, to be more like our true self, the self that God designed us to be in the first place, that sin is stealing away from us. And David recognizes, if you want to go to Psalm 51, verse 6, he writes this, he pens this right after the admission of sin. And he says, Behold, God, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is your true self. It's soul and body. It's holistic. And the real blessing of repentance is that when we can come to a place of humility, when we admit that we don't have it all together, that we have sinned, that we have broken, that we are broken creatures, what God does in that moment is frees us to be more like the person he intended us to be in the first place. Which then leads us to point number two. Sometimes, though, we get repentance wrong. And here's what I mean. During sabbatical, uh, one of the cool blessings of being off for three months is that you actually get bored. It's a weird thing. I know, some of us, how does this happen? I was so bored, I was actually looking at news on my phone, which I don't recommend. It's not a good place to be. But I'm looking through the news, and I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I got so far down on the news app that I found a story about a well-known person in our culture who made a moral failure, and he wrote an apology via Twitter. This is a very common thing. When you screw up now, you just uh, pull out your Twitter account, you apologize, and then the Twitter trolls leave you alone, and life is good. This is a pattern in our culture. And he wrote an apology. It was something like this. First of all, for those of you who were offended by my actions, which is really the start of a great non-apology apology, for those of you who were offended by my actions, and then here comes part number two I've noticed in our culture, the excuse. I'm under great pressure. I have a lot of responsibility. And therefore, that's why I did what I did. And then part number three, 
the person is going to try to work out their moral failure by doing good works. And he said something like, I am going to go to counseling, I'm going to work hard to educate myself, and I'm going to be a better person than I was before. Apology is not biblical repentance. And we see that in our text. If you go back again, look at verse 13. David doesn't apologize. He repents. I have sinned against the Lord, full stop. I mean, if this was David in our culture, he could have made all kinds of excuses. Lord, you don't know what it's like to be the king of Israel, the pressures that I face. Lord, Bathsheba was naked in a floor taking a bath at nine in the morning. I mean, what was I supposed to do? No excuses. He owns his sin. He's broken by the reality that his sin has caused dangerous, deadly consequences. And we see it even more in Psalm 51. If you want to open up your Bibles to that, Pew Bible is page 474. Look at the emphasis that David places on the work of transformation. He gives that to God instead of his own ability to fix his broken heart. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. Verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse my sin. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. What that means for us today, if you're burdened by your own sin, no amount of apologizing is going to fix your broken, crushed heart. You can't say enough prayers. You can't give enough, enough money. You can't do enough good works to fix the brokenness and the shame that you feel in your heart. Nothing is going to do that. And what Scripture is promising us today that Despite our best efforts, we can't fix it ourselves. We do have one in Jesus Christ who can really transform our hearts and fix the burden that we carry with us on a day like today, which brings us to point number three. Back to 2 Samuel. It's interesting that Nathan the prophet uses a lamb for his illustration, his parable to David. He uses a lamb. He could have used a more expensive animal like a horse or a donkey. He could have used a cute, cuddly dog or a cat, you know, to try to get David's attention, but he uses a lamb, and it's very intentional because in Israelite uh, life and their faith life, the lamb was very important. After all, it was a lamb whose blood was shed, and God told them to put the lamb's blood above the doorpost while they were in captivity in Egypt, and the angel of death passes through and spares those lives who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. It was a lamb that sacrificed every Passover to commemorate that day. And it was a lamb's blood that was shed during the ceremony, the Day of Atonement, where the priest would slaughter the lamb, he would take the blood of the lamb, put the lamb's blood on the horns of the altar to symbolize that sin ultimately leads to death. There's no escaping it. But on that day, God has looked past the sin of the people. He's put the punishment on an innocent lamb whose blood was shed to remind the people that God is forgiving and loving and brings them back into good relationship with him. And we don't know if, if Nathan had a comprehensive view of the Messiah. 
but John the Baptist did. In John 1.29, when he sees Jesus walking for the very first time towards the cross, John the Baptist cries out, 129, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. And what John recognized and what we recognize today is that despite our best efforts, we can't fix the brokenness of our heart, but we have one in Jesus, a man of great wealth and power. He had everything at his fingertips as a human being. But instead of taking more power for himself, he gave out of his power. He gave out of his wealth, his very life, died on the cross, blood was shed, and three days later when he rose again, it gives us the confidence, the assuredness that when God sees our sin and we come to him in repentance, he no longer sees us, he no longer sees our sin, he sees the risen Savior, Jesus. We're covered by the blood of an innocent lamb, Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the power of repentance. That's the power of the gospel. That is what we need today to break the brokenness in our heart, to be our true selves, and it's ours today. But as we close, here's the problem. Some practical application. What do we do? We, we know this, and many of us have grown up in the church, and we've heard this before. But I think it's fair to say that whether you're in one of these two camps right now, at some point maybe you have been in one or the other or you will someday in the future, there's really two kinds of people in the church and in, in this life. On one hand, perhaps you are in a state or you've been in a state where you're like David and you're looking through scripture and there's something in your life that you're choosing not to repent of and you don't believe it's a sin and maybe your life seems good and everything's going great, but your spiritual life could be suffering. That is a direct result of a life of unrepentance. And this is a warning for us today. As one of your pastors, I have to warn you that if there is something that you're doing, a sin you're engaging in that you're refusing to repent of, God would say to you today, stop, repent. You're in spiritual danger. It's a call to repentance on one hand. On the other hand, there's those of us in the room here today who have repented, and we're deeply sorry for something that we've done, a sin against God, a way in which we've hurt another human being, but we're clinging to that sin. And instead of repentance, we're acting more like an apology, and we're trying to do all these different things to make things better. We're, we're trying to be a better person. We want to educate ourselves. We want to do all these things to try to make the guilt that's in our heart go away. And what Jesus would say to you today Stop. Let go of your sin. Everything that you need to feel whole again has been won for you by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and me are good. Not by your own works. By the work of the one who gave everything up for us that we could know not only do we have a place in heaven for eternity we have one that we can turn to who can truly transform our heart and let us be freed of our guilt and our shame to know with confidence that we have one in Jesus who, as John said, is the lamb to take away the sin of the world. Amen.